several weeks, we've been working through the book of Ephesians, the first 14 verses, verses 3 through 14 are what? They're giant run-on sentence. Paul begins to write this letter, and he can't help himself but to break out into a praise and worship, an uncontrollable, uh, a spontaneous, kind of undignified moment of just exuberance toward the Lord. And so all these words, 202 of them from verse 3 to verse 14, all kind of run together as Paul is just worshiping Jesus. And we have seen over the last several weeks weeks in this first 14 verses, we've seen the Trinity at work. We have seen that, that God's, our salvation, that it was planned by God. Before the foundations of the earth, that it was planned by God. Second to that, that that plan was accomplished by Jesus. And thirdly, as we see here today, that not only was it planned and accomplished, but that your salvation, if you truly are saved today, is sealed in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Today, as Ansley read for us, we see in verse 11 this, these terms as we break down this passage. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. And I know, again, it's a difficult word for some, but my prayer is that you would learn to love that word, because it is the gospel. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so this morning, as we focus in on this idea of salvation, the first thing that we need to understand is this, is that salvation is God's work. It is not man's work. It is God's work. When is this happening again? As the curtain is being lifted up, what, are we re- what is God revealing to us at this stage in history? that he was doing something in the mystery of his will before you and I were ever born, before we did anything good or bad, God sought to place his loving adoption and redemption and predestination and, and, and election and all of those things on his church, on his people. And so if you're walking with Jesus today, I want you to know that that is just the fruit of a plan that was accomplished and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so we see this in in verse 1. What does Paul tell us? That he's an apostle, according to what? By the will of God. Um, In verse 5, we see this again, according to the purpose of his will. In verse 9, we see this once again as as it tells us this. According to the purpose which he set forth in Christ. And then now again in verse 11. Now I'm not going to spend time this morning breaking down um, predestination and chosen. I did two sermons on that. You can go back and listen to that. Um, And so there's some other things that we need to cover here this morning. I I encourage you to go listen uh, to those two sermons in this series. But we see that, again, salvation is not the work of man. We'll see here in a few weeks that you did not have the ability in and of yourself to save yourself. That God has done this according to the purpose of his will. We see that this is, again, completely his work. He is constantly being extravagant and showing salvation from sin and death 
is wholly God's work. We see this illustration over and over in Scripture as it says what? That, that the Bible, that what God has chosen and how God has chosen to do it is, is completely, he has chosen what is foolish to what? To shame the wise. It shouldn't make sense. It should be some tension within us. And yet Paul's going to say later on in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, one of my favorite prophets inside the Old Testament, favorite stories inside the Old Testament, Jonah says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, one of the things that we're going to see inside this passage today is it talks a lot about inheritance. But in the original language here, in the original Greek, this first section, when it's talking about this inheritance, um, I don't have time to dive into all the nuances here this morning, but one of the things that we need to understand is this, is that the church is Jesus's inheritance. The bride of Christ is Jesus' inheritance. That, that you are the gift. God has redeemed you through Jesus. He has sealed you in the Holy Spirit. That was what we'll get to in just a moment. But, but we need to understand the value and importance through Jesus that we are to him. That we are a prized possession of Jesus. Okay, That he, he loves us. Do you have any kind of collection at your house or anything that's a prize for you? And maybe it's a trinket. Maybe it's a picture, okay? Uh, maybe it's something of great value to you that when you speak of it or that when you want to show that off, maybe if you're a grandparent, it's, it's a, you know, your grandbabies. Um, maybe I, I think about every time I go to the Vanderpool's house, if you're ever invited there, I've, I've had the opportunity a couple of times, and uh, is that their living or their dining room table is is covered in pictures with glass over it of their time in India, and so not only it's like a full body experience while you're eating chili um, is looking at all of these pictures, and so it even allows their guests to say, "Man, like who is this?" or "Tell me the story behind this," or "Tell me the story behind this." Like if if your house was burning down, haven't you all asked the question, "What would we grab?" Okay, as uh, my wife was stuck in the Crosby's closet last night with a bicycle helmet on, because that's what you do at the Crosby's. Daughter, sorry, what did I say? My, that's even more weird. <laughs> Why'd you put my wife in the closet? <laughs> okay. Their whole family was there either way. Okay. As my daughter was in the closet, fearful for her life, FaceTiming her dad wearing a bicycle helmet, you often think, man, what if, if our house was to collapse, what would we be digging for the most? Jesus says that his people is, is like a man who finds a treasure, right? In the middle of a field. And he goes and he sells everything else that he has to buy that field. You're precious. To Jesus if you're in him that's the key if you're in Jesus man you're, you're precious to him 
God is, I mean, think about God promises Jesus you're going to get a bride and the church is it. This beautiful picture of why, why is salvation so important to Jesus ultimately is for the glory of God. But secondly, because it is about the glory of God, he so loves his church that he's, going, he's, he's willing to go to the fullest extent of his power and his glory and his might to secure that one day that bride is going to walk down that aisle. And if you are in Jesus, you are in and is a part of that bride. See, brothers and sisters, I know that we can get locked jaw about thinking about some of these things like predestination. But again, as I mentioned in those sermons a few weeks ago, predestination was never meant for you to write out um, some decree on how it is not right. It was never meant to cause a hatred, an anger, or a tension, or to be upset and to say things like, this is not fair. It was written to people who were broken and struggling and being persecuted and burned at the stake and thrown to lions. It was meant to bring to them an idea, even in Ephesus, as they went from Gentile believers to now followers of Christ, that, that God wanted them to find comfort and assurance in knowing that if he had saved them, guess what? They will always be saved. It was a warm blanket to the soul. It was not a cold bucket of water dumped on these believers as we will often experience when we talk to people about it. It was something to be cherished. It was something to be believed. These truths provide the, the confidence to the believer that evil will not be triumphant and that we are not enslaved to sin again. And that we too will receive an inheritance in Christ. Think about this. Man would never create these doctrines. Why? Because we're not at the center of it. These doctrines of salvation is God's work wholly and completely. All glory, all aspirations, everything is attributed to Him and to Him alone. All right, let's continue on here um, this morning. In verse 12, it says this, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed. Briefly on this point, Salvation is for the nations. Paul is saying, who did it come to first? Who was Jesus' ministry to first? He said, I've come to the Jews, right? I mean, Jesus did not travel too far from Jerusalem. He wanted his people to get it. God's historically chosen people. He wanted them to hear the gospel first. But who's Ephesus written to? Gentiles. He's saying, man, the, the gift has come to us. Jesus has come to us. It came to us first. But now the inheritance that we have given, been given as the remnant of God, not only is it for these, these Jews who were faithful, but it is now for Gentiles. The Gentile dogs are now a part of the family. And for you and I, brothers and sisters, as Gentiles, we should really celebrate that all that God had to offer his chosen people from the Old Testament 
is now we are included. That we are grafted into that. Notice, how did that message of salvation get from the Jews to now the Gentiles? By human means. See, let us not forget for one moment that just because God chooses, God elects, God redeems, all of those sorts of things, that that gives us uh, an opportunity to have an excuse to not evangelize. But it does the exact opposite. It provides comfort. It provides the security. It provides the confidence that we know that when we go, guess what Jesus is going to do? Jesus is going to save some. D.L. Meter used to say, um, Jesus, save all of the elect. And when you've saved all of them, elect some more. That our heartbeat is to preach the gospel, to share the gospel, to call people to the repentance. Because brothers and sisters, may Jesus return to us the joy of our salvation this morning. You and I who are in Jesus have been saved. And that's a beautiful thing for us. We also see that salvation is what? Sealed by the Holy Spirit. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. The end of uh, verse 13 there says, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We are sealed in the Holy Spirit. Your salvation this morning is a done deal. Like it's sealed. What is this idea of being sealed inside of biblical times? It can be a symbol of ownership and protection. In ancient times, a seal was used in a variety of ways. We've all seen the classic television shows, and maybe if you're, you know, you probably Todd Crosby, you probably got one of these at home where you take the wax and you melt it and it drips on the envelope and you have a signet ring and you poke it on there, right? Okay, and so we, we see this sealing of the letters to show that, man, I, this is from the king, Okay? We see this, this seal of protection, this seal of ownership, this wax seal to show authenticity of the letter. If you were a cattle, uh, a piece of cattle, or if you were a slave, then you were often branded with a hot iron um, to, to sow the seal of ownership. And we need to understand here this morning that the Bible tells us that, that God has put his seal not on your skin, but on our hearts, that he has put a certain mark of identification. Uh, uh, this is a, a mark of authenticity. Um, if you ever borrow a book from me, uh, when I graduated one time, um, I had a friend of mine who gave me a gift. And that gift is I carried inside my backpack. And, um, and I, I had this little tool that I, I put, because Christians are notorious for stealing books. And so I want them to know if they, they keep it for the rest of their lives, they'll they will be reminded that they're thieves and need Jesus. And so in that, on the title page of all my books, I take this little thing that I have and I, I can seal and emboss from the library of Eric K. Baker on there. Okay? I want to know what's mine. Jesus, he knows who's his. I mean, typically if you lose something, what do you have to do? You have to show proof that you own it, right? You lose your wallet 
It had a thousand dollars in it. Don't ever do that. You have to show proof. Well, describe the wallet to me. How do you prove possession of this? And, and Jesus is saying, man, I, my sheep who were once led astray, guess what? They are mine. And how do you know that they are mine? My seal is placed upon their very hearts. There is no question. This is my child. This is my daughter. This is my son. The Holy Spirit has sealed our redemption protects us shows authenticity it shows ownership it it determines as we're seeing in this passage what is our identity see the holy spirit at work in your hearts and my hearts guess what that is that is that is a, a birthmark of the new birth we have a new owner we are under new management. I recently have been known to visit a local Taco Bell to get fake Mexican, and it's cheap. And there's this one that I've visited in our town that is notoriously not good service. I mean, like really bad. And I'm not one of those people to call hotlines or to to complain. I, I just, I don't function like that. That's cool if you do. I just, I won't eat lunch with you again because it embarrasses me. Um, but uh, uh, recently I was driving by it again and I saw on the sign under new management because the service was so bad the last time I said, I was like, I'm never going back there. But since the sign now says under new management, then don't think that I'm not going to go get some meat caulked out onto a tortilla with some sprinkled cheese on it. Okay, I'm going to check that out. Why? My belief is it's, it has a new owner. It's under new management. There's something different about this. And for those of us who have been saved in Jesus, we are, have a new owner. We are under new management. We are owned and protected by the King. Romans 8, 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Paul will later state in Ephesians 4, 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption brothers and sisters we have Jesus inside of us how do we know that we have Jesus the Holy Spirit is inside of believers we are a new creation we are dead to self we are dead to sin we are dead to death and we are made anew in Jesus we brothers and sisters have received the mark of God's ownership We have been given freshness, newness. See, and our new identity, as Paul is laying out before us, acquires us and allows us to have new and certain rights under the kingship as the kids' king, uh, kids. That we have birthrights. What freedom would come to us if nothing in this world carried the value as being Jesus' son and daughter. Imagine how we could live, brothers and sisters, 
when there would be literally nothing on this planet that would mean more to us than the identity that we have in Jesus. Therefore, that's why we can live a life that says the Lord is my shepherd. I'm one of his sheep and being under the flock of God, I shall not want that literally the taste of this world, the things that the world is telling us that we need to consume and how to live and what to buy, that we can pray and, and not only pray it, but also believe it. Man, I, I don't want that because it is rubbish compared to being in my daddy's house. This is the prayer. This morning, I'm going to ask, I'm going to read off some scripture to you. And my, and my prayer, in, even in preparation of doing this, I, I, I could not help but think of you guys. I mean, from the, the middle of the night, I've been calling upon the Lord on your behalf. Just been wrestling all night long, thinking about you and thinking about me and thinking about the depths of these words. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask that the Holy Spirit would just, just really illuminate these words to us this morning in a newness, in a refreshing way. Listen to this in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into those marvelous light. In 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, blessed be to the God and our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to the inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Listen to this. If you don't get anything, hold on to this, this in English. It's a, a four-letter word. Kept in heaven for you. Your God's kept. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In Malachi 3.17, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I, I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them as a man who spares his son who serves him. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 through 17, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Then we get to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 12. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar, him a pillar, in the temple of God, never, never shall he, never shall he go out from it, of it. And I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and, and my own new name. We, we see throughout these passages and even other places in Revelation that God even says that he is going to place the seal of God on our foreheads. That God has written his law upon our hearts. We are sealed, brothers and sisters. In Christ. I was trying to think this week of how to illustrate this further uh, for some of you. And the, 
the, the closest thing that I could come to was a movie reference. I apologize. Um, I have kids, and um, I've seen a lot of kids' movies. But I, I've got a picture of it, I think, Trevor. Do you guys remember Toy Story? I think there's three of them, and they're about to make a fourth one. And what's interesting about the story of Toy Story is throughout every one of the movies, a lot of times we get hung in, I got a friend, or you got a friend in me, right? You got a friend in me. But you know what the overarching story is really all about in every one of them? Who owns us? Who owns us? Who owns those toys? Andy. There are all these scenes where they're trying to figure out, does Andy's getting older, right? What's he going to do with us? And there's all of these scenes, and, and like every one of the movies, you will see feet of toys. And on those toys, Andy has written his name. He wants everyone to know, these are my toys. There's even this discussion in the third one where it says they're wrestling on whether they should leave Andy or not. He's gotten older. He doesn't play with us anymore. He's probably going to put us in, in the attic. And they begin to wonder, does, does Andy even love us anymore? And, and Woody says to, the, to all the toys, he says, we wouldn't even be together if it weren't for Andy. And he holds up his boot. And he looks at Buzz and he says, Buzz, look at your boot. Everybody, look, Jesse, you, you look at your boot. And he asks the question, whose name is written there? And the dinosaur, the big goofy dinosaur says, well, well, maybe he doesn't care about us anymore. And Woody replies, well, of course he does. He cares about all of us. So you guys, we had these daily lives. But even in a greater way, if we could peel back the layers, if we were to ask the question this morning, whose name is written on your boot? Or even better, whose name is written upon your hearts? See, here's the deal is most of us in this room would not even know each other if it wasn't for God. We would not be together if it was not for God. And what, what Paul is going to do throughout the book of Ephesians, he's going to show about unity, being in Jesus, being under Jesus, being united in Christ. Why? Because think about this, and I know it's a generic illustration, but I, I'm trying to not only speak to the 35,000 foot level, but also to right here that, man, Jesus' name, if you are saved this morning, think about this, that the same God who took his hand and wrote his commandments into stone has taken that same hand and he has written Jesus' name upon your very heart. Because of that, you know that you're saved. Because of that, I, I know that I can, sa I, I can be saved. That's what it's like for us who, who, who have, have you ever been around a person and you've met another Christian for the first time and yet you seem to have more in common with them than your non-believing family members? Why? Name. Name. 
name is written. I get to see one of my best friends, Mark Phillips, very rarely. And yet every time I sit down with him, it is though we have never left a moment. Why? Kindred spirits. Jesus' name. If you've seen the new Black Panther movie, I, I encourage you, it's great. But in that, in that movie, there's a race of people. And the only way that you know that you're a part of that race of people is they have this like insignia, this, this glowing tattoo on the inside of their lips. And because you've been given that, you're given certain rights, birthrights. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, that we are the heirs of Christ? We are the heirs of Christ. He has saved us. This is according to his good pleasure. You are certified fresh. His name is placed upon you. His identity is placed upon you and I, and that is cause to rejoice here this morning. We are in Jesus. We are his possession. We are God's people, God's possession. See, not only do we have an inheritance, but we are also Jesus' inheritance. And because of that, Jesus is going to take really good care of his stuff. The second thing that we see, or the last thing that we see here, is that salvation is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Now, inside of the original language here, that term guaranteed means this, that, that the Holy Spirit pays the down payment, that he pays the ransom. We talked about Jesus being the Redeemer. So Jesus creates um, salvation. He redeems. He's the ransom for many. Well, who is the carrier of that? Who takes that to the throne room of God? Who pays that first down payment? The Bible tells us that it is the Holy Spirit that does that. That it is a guarantee. Your salvation is a guarantee in the past, in the present, and in the future if you are in Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 says this, And who has put his seal on us and given us the Spirit in our hearts is a guarantee. Think about this. I love this question from my grandpa. He doesn't know it. His name's John Piper. And um, John Piper asked this question. He says, how do you know that you will wake up and be a Christian in the morning? No matter what happens today, have you ever asked yourself that question? How do you know that you will wake up and be a Christian in the morning? How do we know this? See, how you answer the question reveals what you truly believe. If you've done a good, good works today, you haven't used any bathroom words, you haven't lied, stolen, looked at porn, you're going to wake up, I did good yesterday, and so based on that goodness yesterday, I must still be good today. That is not the gospel. The gospel is, is that we have a guarantee. How do we know that we're going to wake up as Christians tomorrow? Jesus, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, that he is the one 
that keeps us. That he is the one that, that keeps us in that moment. The coming of the Holy Spirit inside of us is the first installment or the down payment of our future inheritance. Believers are protected and preserved until we are in God's presence. So many people, especially if you grew up like, like I did, is you would say, well, uh, well, Jesus paid you know, the first payment, but we've got to pay daily payments to keep ourselves saved. Not the gospel. Jesus has paid it all, brothers and sisters. It's a done deal. It's a guarantee. It's sealed in the Holy Spirit. See, God is going to protect his sheep. He is going to preserve us. Is there works? Yes. And when we get to chapter 4, we will see the evidence of that. But that's not where we are today. That's not where Paul is. I don't want to preach something that's not there. There is perseverance, but that perseverance is only the fruit of protection and preservation by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So this idea, don't, I'm, not, I'm not preaching this evangelicalism gospel that says, I prayed some prayer some long time ago, and it doesn't matter how I live my life. That's not what Paul is saying either, okay? But he is saying, for those of us who are in Christ, he is going to pre protect us, he is going to preserve us. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, 1 Corinthians 1, 8, 9. Who will sustain you to the end? Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me greater is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. John 6, 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing in all that he has given me, but raise it up on the third day. I love this one. Write this down. Jude 1, 24. Now to him who is able to, again, keep you from stumbling and to the present you blameless before and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ... You will not perish. He will complete every good work. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. He and we can have assurance of our salvation, not based on what you and I are going to do today, but based on the good work and the perfect work of Jesus. Pastor J.D. Greer, he's about to be, hopefully be the president of the Southern Baptist Convention this next year. He says this, if God did not choose you based on your goodness, then he is not depending on your goodness to keep you saved. Any Debbie do-gooders in here? I'm not a Debbie. I'm a Daniel. Daniel do-gooder. That's good news for you. If you're a check-the-box kind of person, A++++ type, OCD to the extreme, I like expectations. Maybe I'm Eric expectations. High expectations of myself and of others.
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. If Jesus did not save me based on my goodness, and he is not depending on my goodness to keep us Save. Again, brothers and sisters, this doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle in your faith. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have doubts or, or seasons of disobedience. But the Holy Spirit declares, in spite of your failures, when Jesus returns, he will find you sealed for salvation. The evidence is the sorrow over our sin and repentance of our sin and a deep desire not only to, to believe in obedience, to actually be obedient. And all of this is a gift from God. You know, we are, we are people. There's this old song that we used to sing in the church where I grew up talking about, you know, who, who Christians are. They're the people who fall down and then get back up. And then we fall down and then we get back up. And I want you to know this. Let's make sure that we speak truth into even that. You getting back up isn't by only your own strength. It is by only the strength of God. As we often say here at Mission Church, you and I are not okay. I've spent time with you. You are not okay. You're in a safe place to not be okay. But may we never fall in love where we are. May we constantly be pushing each other and pressing in each other toward the salvation and the joy that we have in Jesus. We are in Him. We belong to Him. We love Him. If I was to look on the bottom of your boot today, I was to look at the corridor of your heart, if I could see the tag and the t-shirt of your soul, what would it say, honestly? You know where I struggle? Except for a lot of years, and I still struggle with this, I'm being very confessional this morning, probably since the time I was a child, that if you were to look at that tag, it would say failure on it. That I've constantly felt as a failure. That I'm a failure as a husband. I'm a failure as a dad. I'm a failure as a pastor. And because of that, that identity struggle of seeing myself more as a failure than a son, I can't tell you all kinds of problems that have come from that. Maybe for some of you it's that tag would be, uh, you know, a liar, an abuser. Maybe it's based on your singleness. Maybe it's, it says lonely. Maybe it says, you know, even overachiever, perfectionist. All of those things. May you be reminded this morning. May I be reminded this morning, that for those of us that are in Christ, our name is changed. Our identity is changed. We're no longer 
failure, whatever it is that you brought in here this morning that you've been fighting with forever and ever and ever, may the grace of God fall upon us anew. May it rain upon us anew. May the joy of salvation rain on us again to to those of us who have struggled to fit in since we were a child. May we know this this morning that we who are in Jesus have found our home, that we have found our family, that we have found the place united in Christ where we belong, that you are Jesus's, that he will never leave you and forsake you. In conclusion, if there is application, let it be this. I want you to write this down in your memory, in your Bible, on that grocery list that we provide for you to write out every week, called the weekly, somewhere. I want you to write this. Last thing. Salvation is more about the wonder of God than the wondering of why. Salvation is more about the wonder of God than the wondering of why. What do I mean by that? In verses 4, excuse me, in verse 3, 6, 12, 14, what does Paul keep saying about all of these identity things? These are to the glory of God. The glory of God. That all of this passage and all that we see inside of Scripture, that all of life, that guess what it is pointing to? It is pointing toward the, the worship, the wonder of God. Like His character, His nature, that you can be in awe and driven to your knees once again at who God is. This is what we need to get back to. This is why we need to worship Jesus, that we stand in amazement and awe of God. But, but let's face it, a lot of time is spent with us navel-gazing about the, the, the wondering of why of all of this stuff. More than the wonder of God. We'll be finding ourselves wondering why this is happening or why that is happening or, or, or why this is going on in the world. And yet God is saying, replace the question of why. With the question, and, or not the question, but the, the magnitude of the wonder of God. Here's the thing, a lot of why questions, brothers and sisters, are not going to be answered. But the wonder of God we can get a taste of that. Because God reveals Himself through creation. He reveals Himself through relationship. He reveals Himself through His Word this morning. My prayer for us as Mission Church is that we would fall more in love with the wonder of God instead of trying to figure out all the answers of why this and why that. See, here's the question this morning that we walk away when we start talking about predestination and chosen and election is we start saying, well, well, I'm okay with it, but, but why did God choose me? You know the answer? The wonder of God. 
And we can fight through and wrestle with and try to figure out all of that, but I want you to know that's a question that you're probably never going to get the answer to except for when you see the wonder and the magnitude of God and his grace. See, we worship Jesus not because he made us savable, but we worship him because he has saved us to the praise of his glory. We were once his enemies, now we are his heirs. We will be much healthier as a group of people when our mind and time is spent in our minds not wondering why, but may that wonder of why be drowned out by the wonder of God. See, perspective changes everything. Paul was able to endure hardships because why? He was secure in his identity, his, his God's love for him, God's power in him, God's plan for him, that the world was crashing in around him, and yet he was able to stay faithful. Have you ever noticed, brothers and sisters, how our culture has been driven now by fear? We are a fear-based culture. Right now, people are fearful of what? Of what, what's happening with the government. They're, they're fearful of their pensions and retirement. They're fearful of terrorists. I mean, we're, we're fearful of guns. I mean, we're, we're fearful of the sickness and flu. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that there should be sensitivity toward some of those things, but God has not called his people to be driven by fear, but he has called us to be secure in the gospel that Jesus has us, that we get to be uh, scared, not to be scared of, of sharing the gospel or, or giving away of our money, that we should not be scared of what will happen tomorrow, tomorrow, but we should rest secure in the hands of God that no matter what happens, like God has got you. He's got you. He never promises USA for all of eternity. Praise be to God for that. But you know what he does promise? Protection, security, right relationship with God. And that is beautiful. One of the greatest ways that we can share the gospel is in a gospel of fear. May we live securely in Jesus. I am prone to wander. I am prone to doubts. I am and my, my hours of greatest pain have been tempted, and maybe I'm the only one in here, to drift. Am I the only one in here who has tried to walk away from this Jesus thing? And by the grace of God, I can't. <laughs> Life would be much easier for me in some ways if I would. And yet God's reckless, never-ending, all-consuming, relentless love. As the world collapses around you and I, may we awaken to this again today that you are his son, that you are his daughter, that we can be secure in him. That doesn't mean safe. but it does mean secure. Let me nerd out for a second. In January, I read some children's books, some of my favorites, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there's this scene where the kids 
If you don't know the story, it's by C.S. Lewis, and there's this lion named Aslan, and Aslan represents Jesus. He's the Jesus figure in the story. And there's this Mr. Beaver, and they're trying to tell the kids for the first time because the world has been ravished by the White Witch. It's winter year-round. Christmas never comes. Mr. Beaver tells him, hey, hey, when Anslin comes, like everything's going to be okay. When Anslin comes, the white witch will be no more. He will take care of this. And the kids, they begin to ask Mr. Beaver, they say, well, well, well Mr. Beaver, is, is he safe? Is, I mean, imagine you're a kid and big lion. Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver replies in this story, the line, the witch in the wardrobe. He says, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He is king. And what's Lewis saying to us? Your world can be crashing around you. And what God will call you to is not safety. But He is good. He is King. And so we can be secure inside of Him. Brothers and sisters, that's where I want us to be. That's where I want us is that when we feel our faith will fail, guess who has us? Jesus. Let's pray.